Warning, the following content occasionally contains adult themes and language, which is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Cinematic Rewind. Joining me today to talk about the 2016 film Split is Cookie. What's up there, listeners? And Regan. They called me Mr. What's that? Right Universe, Wrong Movie? Dang it. All right. So like I said, we are talking about the 2016 film, and it was actually, in fact, released here in the U.S. 2017 on January 20th, Split. So this movie deals a lot with the mental health condition known as DID or Dissociative Identity Disorder. We're not mental health professionals here on the podcast in any way, shape, or form. So if you're looking for information on that specific mental condition, then please go do research somewhere else or go talk to someone about it, someone who is a psychologist and actual mental health professional. We're here to talk about the film. With that, Split has a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb, has a 77 on Rotten Tomatoes, and has a 62 on Metacritic. I definitely remember seeing a lot of trailers and hearing a lot of people talk about this when it was first coming out. This was basically when I started going to see a bunch of movies in theaters around 2016, 2017. So I was definitely in theaters to see commercials about it, but this is not one I actually went and saw. Did either of you actually see this in theaters no i waited until it came out on blu-ray blu-ray slash 4k yeah i saw a lot of marketing about it but as sad as it's gonna sound as soon as i heard m night Shyamalan's name to it i was like i ain't watching this <laughs> i have not trusted that man's movies at least for the past three to four up to that point it was recently brought up for us to watch this for the podcast and i checked it out yeah didn't he do airbender oh yeah that's when he really hit rock bottom which i give him credit he bounced back Signs and The Village are probably his two most well-known movies leading up to this. Unfortunately, that was like a decade before this movie. Mm-hmm. Didn't he also do The Sixth Sense as well? Yes. Okay, so he does have some like actual bangers to where like there's actual good films that he's done. He's just also done some other not-so-great ones. Yeah, I think my issue is everything that we're talking about is more than a decade before this film. Oh, fair, fair. Well, didn't he also have like a Netflix movie slash show that came out recently? Don't know about that. I've heard he had an independent film that's been doing pretty well. So I might check that out because this movie did surprise me. Not a bad movie. Yeah, it's pretty good. So I want to ask both of you, what's your history with this film? Like, did you go and see it with a group of friends? Have you watched this movie several times? Is this your first viewing? I'll start with you first, Regent. I mean, this is probably my third or fourth viewing of the film. Now, to give a little bit more insight for the both of you, well, I know Cookie would know this, but I don't know about you, Venture. It's the second movie in the Unbreakable series. The Unbreakable was the first movie, then you had this, and then Glass, which was the follow-up to this. So I grew up watching Unbreakable first, because that's that's what came out. was really into that movie. I had the same hesitations as Cookie did with Anne Shyamalan with some of his work. I chose to skip over this movie, given some of the content in the trailers, but that's also because I was in the midst of my going to school for psychology and criminal justice, and I just wait till after the fact to actually like read up on the movie more and actually watch it in its entirety. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm on my, I want to say my fourth, quite frankly, and I still enjoy the movie each time I watch it. It's a great psychological movie, but there is some very, very solid acting that stands out in this movie. Oh yeah. What about you, Cookie? What's your history with the film? 
Well, as stated before, I skipped it all. I just watched it once for the podcast. I don't regret holding off either. So this is your first view for the film? And probably only viewing, yes. This film tripped me out. I can respect how it was made, and I can definitely see a lot of the level and skill in it, but the subject matter is not something I find entertaining. So it's something that I wouldn't want to keep watching. But I stuck through the film so I could give it a, a, a respectable review. Completely fair. I don't have much of a history with this film. I think I watched it shortly after it came out on Blu-ray. And then I think I rented it from Redbox when those were still a big thing. And I watched it and I just haven't gone back since. Like, it was good, but I feel like I would enjoy it more now with my history with cinema as a whole now. And my appreciation for filmmaking and the art and craft behind it. I feel like I would appreciate it and it's the performances behind it. Since I'm more of a thriller slash horror person now than I was. I know that this is technically like a crime thriller. So this is only the second film series that I've ever seen McAvoy in at all. I'm assuming the other one you mean X-Men. Oh yeah. So just this and X-Men are the only things I've seen him in. And I gotta say, he killed this role. I'm just gonna say, because like for McAvoy as a character, or at least as an actor, like what he does for his profession, I can attest that this whole decade was definitively him coming out as a leading actor. But I wouldn't say respectfully a leading actor of big time movies. The amount of revenue this movie's generated was hand over fist, substantially more than what it took to produce it for production. But if you compare the work he is in against other movies that were out during that time period, these kind of movies were more on that cusp of being a top tier movie. But it still falls to like a b-tier movie in, in my view of the movies themselves but he is a fantastic actor and just honestly just does not get enough credit for what he puts into acting wise like he gets overlooked a lot Honestly, I would agree because this performance alone and with how many different identities that he had to do in this film and how he gave each and every single one of them so much attention to detail with the way that they walked, talked, presented themselves, facial expressions, all of it combined just was a really good performance. And I really do feel like James McAvoy is an overlooked actor. But I also lied when I said this is only the second series. I completely forgot he was in the first film and he was in it chapter two yeah yeah he is that type of actor he kind of has been in a lot of movies but kind of like what regent's talking about is that he gets overshined a lot and for me see my favorite movie he's been in is wanted i freaking love that movie it's a dumb action film but it was still so much fun to watch i legitimately have to say is that i've seen him for years in many movies but i don't think he's ever had a bad performance I'd have to agree. I don't think I've ever seen a movie of his where I saw his performance and was like, yeah, no, this wasn't it. You got to do better. I can probably name one, Victor Frankenstein. That was the movie with him and Daniel Radcliffe. And the tagline was meet your makers. And then I would say the other one would be Atomic Blonde because that movie just did not do so hot in the box office and reviews. You think he did a bad job in Atomic Bomb? I just didn't think he was that good in it. I mean, that's just how I feel, but. I would love to review that movie because I actually have a theory behind that, and I bet you would definitely agree. Probably, but I will say this. So from my first iterations with McAvoy, at least from an acting standpoint, outside of Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Last King of Scotland, and Atonement, which is a really good war film piece from the early 2000s. Yeah, I've seen almost none of his films. I've seen the ones I mentioned, the X-Men movies, this. I think he was in a movie called Penelope. I think I've seen that. It Chapter 2. That's about it. Yeah, I've liked every film I've seen of his. Another actor slash actress in this film that I do recognize is Anya Taylor-Joy, which we did an episode on her TV show, Queen's Gambit. 
Now I can see why they hired her because I wouldn't doubt this was probably her biggest piece on her resume. At the time, yeah. Yeah, I feel like this would have put her in the spotlight. Yeah, this particular movie put her in the spotlight. And with Queen's Gambit around that same time, she was doing, oh my gosh, she was doing the New Mutants movie, which was supposed to be an up-to-date version of the X-Men. I mean, there was the Emma movie, if you're into like period dramas. There's a couple work she's done that there's some good and bad mixed in. But this, I have to agree, was definitely like her breaking through like, hey, I'm here to partake in a lot of higher roles and more challenging characters to portray. I mean, she was also in Peaky Blinders. Well, this movie was a good example where she did an amazing job, but she still wasn't recognized by Hollywood at a big level because even after I went back to research the film and stuff, her name is nowhere near the posters. It's just James. It's just his photo, blit, everything. I actually completely forgot who was in the movie because he's mostly in the trailers as well. Yeah, it's unfortunate that actors and actresses, if they haven't had their quote-unquote big break yet, that they almost get ignored in all the promotional material this movie it was her and him both of them made the movie Mm -hmm. her role in the film was really interesting too it was tragic but very interesting and the way that they wrote her story and how they wove it in just so subtly with just small moments and of course they did explicitly tell you her story but there were small moments here and there that you got to see that just added to the evidence of her story and it was just really good writing Ooh, that girl. I tell you, that was definitely the roughest parts of the movie for me. It was going back to her childhood. Yeah. It was not a fun watch to watch her story unfold. Mm-mm. I will say this, kind of speaking on as the movie progressed, thoughts that was going through my mind, one of the major things was for her character, and like I'm saying, I'm going through first time viewing as I'm seeing as the story unfolds, I was almost kind of worried if she was in on it, and I don't know if they purposely were telling the story that way at first, or if it's just the way I perceived it, because there was definitely a, a layer of mystique not knowing what was going on, and in the beginning, that's why I was afraid of, because sometimes they do have stories like that where you have a woman that's actually in on it and she helps find girls and stuff like that and i know that would have made it even worse and darker but couldn't help but think of that as a possibility as well yeah i don't know if i had that same thought process but i can definitely see where you're coming from with it like unfortunately that is something that does happen in films and that would have made it a lot darker than it was this movie's what pg-13 yeah i feel like if they went down that route it would be closer to an r rating just with the dark nature of the film Oh yeah, I don't know if I even could have finished it if it was R-rated, because I could only imagine how gruesome and graphic things would have been. Yeah, because in that shot, Milan, even though he's not really known for doing a lot of things on the grotesque side of things, he does like playing on that gray line where things get like weird and out of place that it lets your imagination wander. See, by the end of it, it made sense, but she was almost too prepared for how things were going down. And of course, once you learn more about her history, it made sense because she kind of already been through similar things. So she knew how to save herself from certain situations as she was giving the girls advice. So that's why I was kind of worried in the beginning, like, is she kind of one of those double people hiding in? I'm so glad they didn't go that route because like, it gives you a character to lock onto that the film doesn't trick you in the end. And you never know with M. Night. <laughs> yeah, it's true. What a twist. Oh, no. Gosh, that would have been a horrible ending if, like, at the end of it, they both were in on it and they're just like, why do we always do this? Just end up fighting each other in the end and then just start over. Gosh, that would be such a messed up ending. 
feel like if they did go that route, though, it would have been way too easy for people to see, especially with the whole thing you're pointing out of like, she was way too chill in those situations. She knew exactly what to do, how to handle herself, how to act. So it would have been a little too easy for the audience to see coming. And so I'm glad they didn't go that route. This was definitely more of a, a badass building of a character for her, which I do feel sorry for the other two girls. I really wanted them to live. Agreed. Yeah, unfortunately that didn't happen. They became food. Yeah. Speaking of the end of the film, I know we've barely talked about the film, but at the end of the film, it's revealed that they have been trapped in the Philadelphia Zoo. And when I saw that, I was like, <gasps> I've been there. Oh my gosh. I saw like parts of it I had walked through and I saw like the things that they have going over top your head so like monkeys and stuff can go over top of your head. And I was like, I saw that. I saw a monkey going through one of those. Like, did I see the man over there? Did I see Dennis? Did I see him? Did I see James McAvoy? It was just really cool. It's something I always enjoy in films is when I see filming location. And I'm, I'm like, I've been there. I stood on that rock. Oh, yeah. I feel you on that. Yeah, I can't wait to see more of those moments in films. It's just always a fun thing. So how did you guys feel that they handled the suspense of the storytelling and how they built up them being trapped? And there were so small hints that the rooms that they were in were not as secure as they thought and how him changing personalities almost completely changed how they were going to escape or go to your first region. I mean, speaking of the movie in itself, for what it had for the, the suspense, the thrill, or and just that level of security fleeting, a lot of the tone and the coloration of the scenes remind me of another horror movie. I don't know if YouTube's seen it. It's called Don't Breathe. It came out two years prior. It took like the third watching of this movie for the light bulb to really turn on that there were tones and pacing very similar to that movie. I was just like, oh, okay, I can get behind this because I've seen Don't Breathe. I think it's a very good movie to pick off from and to adapt from. I do kind of wish wish there was a little bit more horror but not like bodily horror more like that fear horror of like like the beast or the horde oh it's coming it's coming or like the police trying to storm the zoo trying to find them and he just goes on a tear and starts ripping police people apart while chasing after anna taylor's character something like that like a little bit more of that the unstoppable force meets the immovable object that mentality where it's just he's plowing through all these people to go after her and in the very end as we saw like how the movie ended you could have that particular one character's cameo stand on the opposite side of the street and just stare right at them but like i know you're here and you know i'm here and let that anticipation build oh yeah how'd you feel about it cookie Fallen Regent Space, that's actually not a bad alternative way of looking at it. I will admit, before I pressed play on the film, it was saying that it was a horror thriller. And until Mr. Beast showed up, it definitely did not feel like a horror. Definitely felt like a thriller, though. We'll give it credit on that. I enjoyed the pacing for the most part, but it definitely did feel like once Mr. Beast showed up, it then became more of a horror film at that point, And it didn't stay for too long. I wouldn't say like it's a disappointment, but it was definitely one of those things where it was like, I kind of felt like there was going to be more of that in the film, especially from the way the trailer made it. I mean, I felt like almost all the Mr. Beast scenes was in the trailer, to be honest, or at least enough of it. But otherwise, though, I think it was pretty good from a pacing standpoint. One other critique, too, along those lines is the two girls' deaths. It happened so fast, there was no buildup for it, which I can give one credit, but to do both back-to-back, -back, I felt like, okay, I kind of feel like that's a wasted character or wasted two characters. I feel like it should have been more emotional impact on what happened with that. 
Yeah, it did kind of feel like their deaths just happened and it got brushed off the table so quick. Even with the doctor who died, it just felt like almost too small of a moment for such a large character. And I'm just not sure how I feel about that. Because like on one hand, it makes sense. Like, okay, they're not the primary focus of the film. Cool, do whatever you want with them. But also there wasn't much done with it after the fact either. It was just sort of, hey, these people are dead. But other than that, I thought this film utilized the different personalities really well in order to alleviate suspense in certain scenes in order to raise hopes and also to squash hopes as well. So it allowed this nice flow of tension between scenes to allow both a narrative thread to flow plus the emotional thread to flow as well. Because you've got your emotional response to a film but then you also have the narrative of the film that also needs to continue. With the narrative thread of course being story but the emotional response to the story story being how the scene and the story makes you feel. And I feel like they utilize those two different tools pretty well in order to keep the suspension high, but not feel like there's never any sort of relief in the film. Yeah, I can agree. I mean, even when Dennis can't even keep up with all the personalities, whichever James character, whenever he was having his meetings, it's like you said, like even during those moments, I felt like the tension was high. I was worried. I was like, is he going to snap killer on the spot or is he going to slip out with something? Because sometimes with storytelling, they'll do that where it's like they'll slip up and let something be known. And then her character could have been like, did you just say you had a couple girls locked up? And then that could spiral out of control. And now he has to kill her because she found out stuff like that. I was just worried about which that to me is good storytelling is that even when it visually looks like it's calm it's really not yes and i enjoyed that so much it's just from an exterior if you were to just show someone an image they'd just be like okay it's two people talking fantastic but if you know the context behind the scene and you know the story and where it's at then that picture alone just holds so much tension and especially once you know that barry has sort of been taken over by dennis and he's been there the whole time just impersonating barry yeah, I think one of the biggest hammers, which I think it was for everybody else too, was once you found out how many personalities there was, I'm over here like, oh man, it must be like five or six. And then you see it's like 23 waiting on the 24th to show up. It's like, whoa, goodness gracious. That's like, that's very scary to think about, especially if, for how strong he was on top of that too. They definitely put a lot into it, and I know they didn't show all 23 personalities, or I should say 24, in the film, but you also didn't need to. The little video documentary about the other personalities that weren't exactly, I would say, right for the film, right for film use, so they just left those out and used the ones that made more sense for the purpose of a movie. That's where I can give good writing credit, because if you really cared, you could read the names, and sometimes the names can hint to the personality. So how did you guys feel about how they were able to use the whole area of the lockup and, or I should say, just where he was keeping them to tell the entire film? Because all you had was the beginning of the film outside of it at the restaurant and you had the car, and then you didn't see pretty much anything else besides that for the entire film. It was pretty much the entire film contained to a very small space. I mean, think of it this way, less is more. Because how many movies have we each individually seen where there's so much going on over a giant span of so many places or extra parts that it just takes away from the movie and just try to consolidate to just one prime location and just let that tension and fear build up in that smaller spot to really drive a story? Yeah. What about you, Cookie? 
I agree with reason. If anything, I would say I kind of wish we had more of the smaller space scenes. And I think it was because of the PG-13 rating. And I might be making a stretch here, but I know sometimes that is a concern with the ratings board is not everything is as simple as cussing, blood. Sometimes it's even just the tension. So I wonder if that's something that they had to help, like kind of hold back is some of the more tense scenes where it was even more claustrophobic for the rating. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I never thought that just a setting and people's response to viewing that, it could also affect ratings. I never thought about it like that, but yeah, that would make sense that the environment of which you set a film in affects the rating as well. But I also agree with Regent is, I feel like it was an excellent use just being less is more type deal to where you have this small space that feels more claustrophobic and it allowed you to play around with the fact of you're trapped a whole lot more adding to that nice layer of tension that you love in a thriller and also adding a small amount of dread because if you're in this small confined space and you have no clue where you are it also adds that helplessness vibe to the film as well because like what are you going to do when you are completely trapped you have no visual of the outside world and you have zero idea of where you are and then who's holding you back is that much physically stronger than you. So it's even more depressing and hurtful because those glimmers of hope where the doors unlock, but you all even combined together couldn't take that one individual down. So you see glimmer of hope, even though it's still just hopeless. Yeah, I just think this film has really good writing when it comes to certain aspects of the film, just being how they allowed the tension and the whole vibe of the film. And they really encapsulated being trapped and helpless really, really well. And I, you got, I got to give him props for that. And James McAvoy, again, really helped push that. You're stuck. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Certain individuals of his personalities also gave off the vibe that they're stuck stock as well oh yeah i think i remember those scenes especially the the one who liked kanye west music the kid hedwig yeah yeah i just thought it was so fucked up when he was telling them about the window and when you finally get to see it it's just a drawing on the wall yeah oh my gosh yeah. and you just have to suffer as you see him just dance in a poorly edited sequence again in that scene there's more of that hopelessness vibe going on with the radio that he lets her have and they actually get a hold of someone and the man doesn't believe her yeah and that's the tough part is like i was thinking about it i was like you know unfortunately depending on who's on the other end that 100 percent could happen that way yeah unfortunately I mean, yeah, they, if you think about it in context with the end of the film, they are in a zoo. So it does make a little bit more sense that they're crying out for help. They're saying that they're trapped in this basement or in this building, but they're in a zoo. So what security guard is ever going to think that some individual is going to trap three teenage girls in a zoo? Yeah, and then you also got to think about what got through to the other end. These were only a few people had that radio frequency. So you already know you already got like some friends you goof off with that's on this. So that's definitely why the first couple times, I think she only was able to send out something like three to four times. The first couple is going to sound weird to you because you're like, what in the world? Are y'all goofing off as usual? Oh, yeah, definitely. I know I used to mess around on walkie-talkies all the time when I was a kid. My dad had a few that were decently long-range, and we picked up a couple people on a walkie-talkie, and we would just spew nonsense into them. And, of course, you got some weird responses back. 
I know, and the messed up thing is, is like, what in the world could you even say? I will say this, though. In that moment, I know it's always as easy to say, like, what I would do in that situation. I did legitimately think, like, I would have just kept it and then tried to use it later. Right, because, like, I thought about that, too. If you get a weird message one time about someone being trapped, sure, I can see brushing that off. But if you were to do that periodically enough throughout a day, and if it was a security guard, eventually they're going to think, okay, maybe someone is actually trapped. Yeah, because James' character, whichever one was at that point, he handed it to her. She could have, at least in my head, I would have been like, oh, you know, like, I'll just keep this nice and safe. This is our little secret. Put it maybe in her back pocket or something like that and gone back to her bedroom or whatever room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Patricia, his alternate, did take it, right? I thought he just took it back. That's when she started using it in front of him. He's like, what are you doing? I mean, I get why she did it on the spot, but even I had to think like, yeah, no one's going to take that seriously immediately because it's just so strange. It's definitely a strange thing. I'm not even sure how I would react if I got just a random phone call and someone started saying that. I'm not sure how I would react. I'd probably just be like, hmm, spam call and hang up. Yeah, because especially how quick she said the first time would sound like gibberish. Oh, yeah. I would honestly have to agree with both of you because I wouldn't even know how I would personally take it. I would be a toss up between is this person trying to punk me out or trying to sell me something, or is it just enough to get an answer and hang up on me like a scam call? Oh, yeah, especially the ones that try and pressure you into a yes or no type answer where they want you to say yes so they can have a recording of you saying yes to something. Exactly. Mm hmm. So even though this is the part two of the trilogy with glass falling up and rounding out the series, in my opinion, when it comes to at least a hierarchy or which movies to go out and see, I would say I probably would put Unbreakable just a little bit above Split, and then I wouldn't even recommend Glass, honestly. But Glass was basically trying to be, I don't know if either of you two have seen the movie, but Glass was basically putting James McAvoy's character against Bruce Willis's character in a one-on-one -on -one fight to see who would win between good and evil being instigated by Samuel Jackson's character, Mr. Glass. Wasn't he in Unbroken? Unbreakable? Yeah, Unbreakable. Yeah, Samuel Jackson was, was in the movie. He was the comic book store owner talking about the fascination and love for comics, about being fascinated with heroes and monsters and all of us, and just seeing what it takes to awaken them inside. And the scene of the bomb threat slash pillar in the movie, and Mr. Glass is like trying to chase after the culprit, and he has a cane, and he walks down like two stairs, and his one leg breaks, and his entire body just collapses onto the ground in pain. Because Mr. Glass, his entire body is fragile like glass. If you touch his arm too hard, you could break his entire arm that's how delicate of a person he is so then he gets confined to a wheelchair for this movie and glass which was the last movie has to be the worst superpower i've ever heard of i think lex luthor both out the ability to fight he's smart he's manipulative calculative he can't do anything physical he has to be behind the scenes he has to hide in the darkness to really make himself be a force to reckon with at least in this universe Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I haven't seen Unbreakable or Glass, and I don't think I'm gonna see Glass ever, just due to how horrible the ratings are. I have no desire to finish this trilogy. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I enjoyed Unbreakable just a little bit more than Split, but that's also because I like the underlying story arc for Bruce Willis about being a superhero, trying to figure out what his power is, what his weakness is, and trying to do more with his life. And then Mr. Glass being an avid comic book collector and owner, like following him from like his first days of finding out about his powers to now and just being fascinated with Bruce Willis's character.
All right, so this movie, if I had to rate it based off of just a cinematic appeal and for just what it was in the movie, I'd probably give it a 6 out of 10. Not something I'm pretty much going to go back and watch anytime soon, if ever. It had really good acting and it had great writing, but I feel like its depiction of DID definitely holds the film back quite a bit. And overall, I just it didn't completely encapsulate me in the movie, so I feel like those are two areas where it really could have improved improved what about you guys if i had to give this movie a uh rating i probably lean somewhere between six and a half and a seven not because i think it's a terrible movie but it's not one that wanted me to come back and watch it you know like 10 20 times like other movies but i'm in the same boat as venture i probably would not rewatch this movie unless if i went back for grad school with psychology or criminal justice and sociology just to watch this movie as like do's and don'ts of understanding did and relaying it to like the psychology book manual i forget what number edition they're on now with that book but but to put that into more perspective and light and just seeing what is factual, what isn't, and just trying to understand like what is what is realistic and what is made up for film. But that is another discussion. And I have to say, uh, Venture summed it up pretty well for me. I'm pretty much in the same boat. The only thing I would add is the movie is better than I thought it was. But to be honest, too, the bar was set really low. So I was already going in thinking like, uh, I might not enjoy this. It didn't really hold my attention before. But it, it's a movie that I can respect. Visually, I actually have to say, it was that's probably the best part of the movie was the cinematography was phenomenal and the editing was really good. So I'll gladly give it a six, mostly because of that. But the story, it's kind of on the same lines with Venture. I actually think I would enjoy the story more if it wasn't so brutal near the end and maybe more of a shining a light on a particular thing or at least giving an alternate look at it to turn into something of such a murderous intent. I kind of feel like kind of just dropped the ball. But with that, Cookie and Regent, thank you very much for joining me for this episode. Pleasure as always. Absolutely. All right. And thank you listeners for listening. If you want to explore this movie a little bit more and dive a little bit into DID, there is an excellent two-part video on YouTube that I personally watched. It follows someone asking professor at the McMaster University in Ontario, Canada. Uh, His name is Dr. Richard Day. He is an abnormal psychology professor there. And they dive into the questions that people have about this film. If things are accurate, if things are true about this film and what its portrayal is like in the film versus reality. So if you want to learn a bit more about that, there's a great deep dive over there on YouTube. So just look it up, give it a watch. It's two parts, probably like 20 minutes. You can definitely do that there. But thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed. If you want us to cover one of your favorite movies or one of your most hated movies, follow our social media links down below or send us an email. Remember to share this episode with a friend or to leave a review. Both of those are an excellent and free way to support the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed and I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.